Yeah, welcome back. And yeah, it actually happened. We launched a church last week. So we're just so thankful for everybody who came on out and jumped in to help out. And we are just in awe of everything that the Lord has done leading up to this. And we just were able to take last week and just reflect on all of that. And he receives all the praise and all the glory. And as we talked about, the Lord will build his church. And just as Travis said, we're just really excited. We're excited that you guys came back this week. And so we didn't have to do any gimmicks, any giveaways, any, you know, cash at the door or TV raffles. So uh, it's great to see everybody today. Uh, But seriously, whatever the providential path that the Lord has brought you on through the doors here at Redeemer Church, we're just so, so thankful that you're here. And, you know, it means a lot to us. And, you know, we had a few people say this and um, they, they say, hey, you know, we've, We've been here for a little bit, and we've, we've heard you guys preach, and we feel like this is where uh, the Lord is, is calling us to, and uh, this is where we want to call home. And that, that really warms our heart, but it also just uh, encourages us because um, that just really means that the Lord's church is serving its role and function to, to have a place where a body of believers can gather uh, just to really lift up his name. And so, so that's just been a big encouragement. As we learned a few weeks ago, he has placed us as citizens, as members into the household of God. So as Travis stated, we're continuing with our sermon series, Ecclesia. And uh, what is, we're really spending time answering the question of what is the purpose of the church. And today we're going to be talking about what does a devoted church look like. So the title of today's message is Ecclesia Devoted to the Church. And if you missed any of the previous week's messages, that's okay. Uh, They're online. Um, You can check them out at our website, our ever-improving audiovisual experience. And so it's getting a little better every week. I know some, I can't really hear real good, but just sit tight. I mean, one of these days you're going to be like, whoa, they know what they're doing when it comes to video and everything. So, but we're, we're getting there. We're a church plant. It's a work in progress. So today, we are looking at this very well-known passage that uh, some would probably say it's, it's kind of uh, important and mandatory that you actually preach through this passage if you're a new church or a church plant. And so we'll talk a little bit more about the context of this passage here in a second. But just for starters, uh, we're looking at um, this, this time where, where Peter, he, he got up and he told everybody that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. And not only was he the Messiah, that you crucified him. You put him on the cross. And this is their response. And so if you um, have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 2. Acts 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're going to be at verse 37 through 47. So Acts 2, verses 37 through 47. This is what they said. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, all who had need, any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their foods with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their day, added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Just pray with me. Lord, we love your word. And God, allow scripture to speak into how we are to navigate a church plant. Uh, this was uh, the early church, Acts 2. God, this was the first manifestation of, of your church together. And so God, just uh, allow us to step into this and, and be faithful to um, how you would like us to proceed. And God, help us to never forget uh, the cross. God, that your son died on it and, and paid the sacrifice for us. And, and so there is a, a mandate on every believer to, because of what you've done for us, Lord, help us to be found faithful for what we are to do going forward. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we parachute into this scripture today in Acts 2, just to provide a little bit of context, immediately prior to Peter's passionate proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit had indeed arrived. It was just 120 individuals in the upper room. Basically, at this time, the church was underground, and they had not yet been empowered and emboldened to share their faith, as we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit arrives in dramatic fashion, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy found in Joel 2, in which we know as the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days after Christ's ascension back into heaven. And this was the Greek name for the Feast of Weeks, which was the Jewish holiday to really uh, um, celebrate the end of the grain harvest. And so exactly 50 days penta after another Jewish holiday, which was the Feast of First Fruits. And so there are lots of points of significance and as this relates to our faith, but the most important thing from the day of Pentecost is to realize that this was the day that the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And then also many would look at this passage of scripture to say this was the beginning, this was the origin of the New Testament church as we know it. And so with this Feast of Weeks being a Jewish holiday, as we look back to verse 5 in the chapter, it states that there was many devout Jewish men, and they were from every nation under heaven, and they were offering, they came to Jerusalem to offer their first fruits, their first fruits of the harvest. And so here's the thing, you know, this happens, and so this happened on, on this day on the day of Pentecost, which really brings all the attention to this, but these individuals, they, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and individuals from other countries who were speaking other languages were speaking native tongue to some other individuals. It's basically saying, hey, I know who you are. We don't speak the same language. And then all of a sudden, you're speaking the glories of God in my own language. And, and this is something that just caused utter amazement, bewilderment, and astonishment. Like, what is going on here? This is a powerful movement here to take place. And we also have to remember this, that this was Jerusalem. This was 50 days after Christ's resurrection. And so they're 
undoubtedly was this buzz in the city. And so there are many individuals that had witnessed who Jesus was. And it, maybe if it wasn't a firsthand account, a firsthand eyewitness, they're probably saying, yeah, I know of someone that saw one of Jesus' miracles. I know of someone that really was healed by him or, or saw him rise again or, you know, he appeared 10 times in the New Testament. I know someone or I actually saw him with my own eyes. And so there was all of this buzz going on in the city of Jerusalem or even uh, some of the events after his crucifixion. I mean, think about what took place. The, the skies darkened in, in midday. Uh, there was an earthquake. Uh, the, the temple curtain, which was four feet deep, was rent from top to bottom. I mean, those are documented things that happen. We see people, saints coming out of their tomb and just walking amongst the city. And so these are some wild things. And then now this, and now this, the Holy Spirit arrives. People are talking in other languages, proclaiming the glories of God. And so people are saying, what is going on here? And this is where Peter, it states, Peter lifts up his voice. The, the table has been set for, for Peter's passionate proclamation uh, of the gospel. He lifts up his voice with Holy Spirit-empowered boldness and explains to them what is taking place. He explains to them that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. In this Jesus, you crucified. You crucified the Messiah in which you were waiting for, for generation upon generation, and you put him to death. It states in Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He exalts men, he exalts Christ and indicts men. He states this Messiah has indeed arrived, and you put him to death. You nailed him to the cross. Could you only imagine their response? They had been waiting their whole life, their forefathers' lives, for the coming of the long-awaited promised Messiah. And Peter states this is exactly who Jesus was, and the realization sets in that they were responsible for his death. They were saying probably, crucify him, crucify him. And what was their response? What was their response? They were cut to the heart. They pleaded with him, what are we to do then? And Peter responds with this, these words. He states, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And these are just not only the words of Peter answering the question to the crowds. This is a powerful gospel proclamation for all of us today. He is stating, repent, repent, turn away from your sins, hold fast to the righteousness found in Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that leads you, that guides you, that helps you navigate this life in which we live in. And this gift is not only for you, it's for your family, it's for your children, it's for all of those who are called. And this is how 3,000 individuals were added to the church in one day. And we see movements like this periodically take place in, in modern times. We, we've seen revivals. Uh, we, we've seen spiritual awakenings throughout history. And the Lord is fully capable uh, of building his church as he sees fit. And this verse compiled with what we see in Acts 4.4, 4, 
Acts 4.4, 4, it states the number of men at that time in the church were counted to be 5,000. And so if there was 5,000 men, you know, many commentators would state this, that if there's 5,000 men, that would mean that there are at least 5,000 women and children. So at this time, the church had grown from 120 individuals in the upper room to 10,000 plus, exponentially, explosively. And what did the church do with this type of growth? And that's a great question. It's a great question because we just planted a church this week, right? And so last week, and and I thought this would be a good opportunity to really answer the question of what does good church growth look like? How, How is the church to grow? Because we're all over the map on some of these things, to be perfectly honest. Some would cite this verse and say, you see, I mean, the Lord, yeah, church of Ephesus was large. The Lord wants a church of thousands upon thousands of people. In fact, you know, I ran across this mission statement. I don't think it was their overall mission statement, but it was definitely one of their tenets of a church that was basically saying their goal, they haven't even planted, and just to say their goal is to five churches, 5,000 individuals in, in five years. And well, that's pretty audacious. You know, what is healthy church growth? Or even a better question is what is unhealthy church growth? Uh, Are you a a secret church? I mean, you know, what's what's Redeemer going to be? Are you guys going to be secret church? You know, just try to get everyone in here and, you know, that's that's definitely the Lord is working and using. Or or are you going to be the the holy huddle church, right? Us four and no more. Are you going to allow everyone to come on in? You know, don't don't worry about all our welcome, all our celebrated. Or are you going to be one of those churches where it's kind of the secret handshake, right? The secret esoteric handshake that, that states we have to have 100% doctrinal alignment on all the distinctives on the primary, secondary, and tertiary issues. I mean, this is a good question too. I mean, we, we know many of you, Travis and I, but, but what are you and Travis all about? I mean, we've heard you preach, but... Really, when we peel back the layers of what's behind all this, and these are all fair and valid questions for the church. You know, just like what we were talking about earlier, you're saying, hey, I feel like maybe this is where the Lord is calling me. I feel like this is where the Lord wants me to plant. It it feels like home. And so with that, you're also saying, Travis and John, don't mess this up for me, right? (laughs) Like, this is where the Lord wants me, and we're, we're putting a lot of stock on the direction that this church is going. And, and I, I believe that there are many ditches uh, when it comes to how we are to view church growth. And I, I think that there are some ditches that are, are deeper than others. You know, we see some churches that say, hey, we don't want to grow. Uh, we just want to stay the same. We don't want to invite people in, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. We just want to stay small. The focus is this is our thing, right? And Maybe after we run you through the gauntlet of everything that you believe and what we believe and how that lines up, maybe we'll invite you to become part of the exalted brethren, right? You know, so I don't think that's necessarily what maybe the Lord has for churches. Or you walk into a church and the outsider alerts go off and Hopefully it's never been in a church, but we've all been in situations where we walk into a room, right? And we're like, whoa, you don't belong here. And so there's just kind of this uh, radar going off where everyone's saying like, hey, we've got visitors, someone do something about them. And, and so that's, that's not good. 
Or, or a church that I don't feel like would be fulfilling the Great Commission where you say, boy, it's been so long since we've seen a conversion or, or a baptism. Or, you know, there is just a, not a whole lot of spiritual growth that's taking place within the church. It's just kind of stagnant. And so this is not what the Lord wants for his church. This is not fulfilling the Great Commission. It's not sharing the gospel and inviting your friends into church so that the Lord may do a sanctifying work in their life or even better yet, draw them to himself in a new relationship, a saving relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Luke 14, 23 states this, go to the highways and hedges that my house, the Lord's house, may be filled. Yet we have another ditch, which I believe is a much larger ditch in today's evangelical world. Last week, we talked about the fact that the Lord will build his church. Men will build organizations. Men will build buildings. But ultimately, the Lord states, I will build my church. And that's a promise that he gives us. And that's a a sense of solace, you know, to say like, hey, I I don't want to compete with that. I want to be able to get out of the way so the Lord could faithfully build his church. That doesn't mean we don't do things and aren't proactive to do these things. But the Lord is building his church, and and that's the glory of it. It's not based on any person or personality or thing or movement, but I believe that there are many that fall into this ensnarement, this this trap of what the apostle John says in his epistle where we talk, he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Establishing individuals, their primary goal and focus is about numbers and just it's a lust to say we have to grow this church and into what purpose they it might be under the guise of growing the kingdom but in actuality it's it's idols of significance or or control or just uh, fame and, and popularity pride or even the love of money they're trying to establish maybe a name for themselves or a platform of of influence or we, we've seen are familiar with many celebrity pastors. And, and to be quite honest, I mean, I think that's appalling. I mean, using what the Lord has placed in your life to say, hey, I'm going to make a name for myself. And you may even hear the statement, we, we aren't about numbers. We're not about numbers, but everything you do and say speaks otherwise. Or, or this constant focus on growth, it, it may result in, a, a passive, palatable compromise or even a false gospel. It, it's not a saving gospel. It may indeed even be a damning gospel. In a day and age where, where you see some churches just, you know, maintain this level of cloudiness or, or ambiguity or even silence on, on very specific, pertinent aspects of the church and where we should be taking stances on, such as abortion, such as homosexuality, extra-biblical influences, transgenderism, the prosperity gospel, the progressive gospel. What does the church have to say on these items? Because the word of God is not only clear on these items, the word of God is crystal clear. And when you see this drift away from sound biblical teaching, What you also see is this drift away from Holy Spirit discernment. 
And you may see a church that grows in numbers, but it's shrinking in spiritual maturity. And what are we told in 1 Peter 2? 1 Peter 2, 2 states, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That by you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you indeed have tasted that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You have tasted this amazing gift that you've been given. Don't you want more of it? One day when we get to heaven, we all must give an account. There will be many churches. There will be many pastors that faithfully preach the word of God, that faithfully shepherd the flock of God. And it's going to be churches of 50, 60, 70 people. But we're going to get to heaven. I I think things are going to be turned upside down. Those are the churches that are going to be found faithful. Did you do what the Lord has called you through to do in his word? To preach the word, to shepherd the flock. And these are things that are important. I do apologize that it took me 20 minutes to get to my first point. (laughs) Which is, as the church grows, so should the depth of discipleship. As the church grows, so should the depth of discipleship. 3,000 individuals came to Christ in one day. And what did they do with this outpouring of souls? As these individuals were saved, they were immediately placed into the first form of discipleship through the church. And what did this consist of? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They immediately dove into their faith. They grew in their faith because they devoted themselves to these things. It was a devoted church. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And may Redeemer Church never fall into a category of a mile wide and ankle deep. May we all, as followers of Christ, never just fall into apathy and stagnancy, and honestly be able to say that there is a trajectory of spiritual growth in our lives. You know, may we all take the time to inventory what we're doing in this life and to say, compared to a year ago, I've grown. You know, my my walk with Christ isn't the same as it was five years ago, as it was a decade ago. Yeah, maybe I've had some seasons of of wilderness, seasons of, of desert times, trials that were just so consuming, but even in the midst of those trials, can we say that there are joy in those trials, that the Lord has used that refiner's fire to be able to say, I'm stronger because of it. So let's push away from the passivity and the stagnancy and the apathy that we're all prone to falling into. And as a church, collectively be able to say that it's worth it. Our faith, our walk with Christ is worth growing in. That's what we want to have the hunger for. And what does this devoted church look like? Well, it's devoted to the apostles' teaching. And just as the early church did, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the apostles' doctrine. This provided the link from Jesus. You see what I did there? This provided the link from Jesus Christ, from the continuity of his teachings and the apostles' 
took Christ's teachings and were teaching others what they had to say. Essentially, the early church became the first Bible school without actually having a Bible. And what do we have today? Well, we have the apostles' teachings. We, we have the word of God that was written under divine inspiration, Theonustos, breathed out by God. It was a canonized collection of the apostles' teaching, and it was divinely inspired, and it was not only divinely inspired, it was divinely orchestrated into the holy word of God in which we have today. This is the foundation in which the church is to be built on. This is where we have our questions answered. This is where we find all things that pertain to life and godliness, sola scriptura in scripture alone. The Holy Spirit arrived at Pentecost, and the Spirit of God moved through the people of God that allowed them to submit to the authority of God through his word. And this is why at Redeemer Church, the focus of Sunday mornings is, is worship and the passionate proclamation of the word of God. We live in a world where the level of moral depravity keeps sinking lower and lower. I mean, what's it going to be when having a biblical worldview is going to land us in prison? I mean, we feel the walls just shrinking we have this 2,000-year-old book of antiquity that people are just saying, why in the world would you believe that? We have so much more knowledge in this day and age, right? And, and so why would you believe some of these archaic commandments? It's not loving. It's not taking care of people or, or what have you. But, but just speaking of evil, a, a prime example of this is this past weekend. Governor Newsom's billboard citing Mark 1231 to endorse abortion, abortion, that is just an abomination. And we could see this drift of this world and we have to stand on the word of God. I, I saw this website that it's, it took it upon themselves. The church stated that we have to speak into areas where scripture is silent on. Well, scripture is not silent. Scripture is not silent. We must continually Stand on the inspired, the authoritative, the infallible, the errant word of God. This is how we must do church. This is what a devoted church looks like. The next mark of a de devoted church is one that is devoted to the fellowship. And the Greek word is koinonia, which we could find 14 times in the New Testament. And it's a, a partnership, a communion with, with one another. We come under the apostles' teachings, right? But we also talk about the apostles' teachings. That's why we, we do groups. That's why we, we come together in, in fellowship. This is where we are to love one another. This is where we are to share with one another. This is where we are to pray with one another. This is where we are to edify, exhort, and encourage one another. This is where we laugh and cry and comfort one another. This is where we confess sin and God's word even says at times have to reprove and rebuke one another. Basically saying, I, I see you going down this road and it's a road of destruction and I love you too much to see you continue down that road and, and that's what it means sometimes to have a relationship where you where you have accountability where you could speak into each other's life or, or maybe it's a situation where you really need to step into caring for one another 
Uh, what does it mean to, to just sit and be present and, and listen to one another and, and, and be there for that person? And it's just been amazing what the Lord has done through his church. We didn't expect to have a student ministry at this, at this point in the history of Redeemer Church, but we're so thankful. But we're also going to be doing some our, our men's and women's ministries, and those are going to be dialing up here in the not-too-distant future as far as community groups are concerned as well. And so just be patient, and, and we're just so excited uh, to be able to make that part of our church because it's mandatory that we do that because a believer, a follower of Jesus that isn't in community, that, that doesn't have relationships with others, uh, other followers of Christ, well, well, that's a believer that's in a precarious state. And so we want to make sure that we're following this blueprint as we see here and we're offering the fellowship. And thirdly, the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this could be referred to as dinner, um, dinner table fellowship. And, uh, but also many would say this is a communion. And I, I would say this is probably one and the same because this is one and the same in the early church. They were sharing everything. And if they were sharing everything and had that commonality, then they would be sharing bread and wine. And, and after a meal, they would say, well, this is a great time to participate in the Lord's Supper and to participate in communion. And this is great. This is perfect because, and timely because next week we're going to have our first communion. And this is important. And so we want to recognize its importance. So we're going to do that the first Sunday of every month to make sure that it's always on there. The schedule works around communion. We don't move communion. And this is where we as believers, we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, his blood, his broken body, and also recognize our unity with Christ. And not only our unity with Christ, but our unity with one another as believers. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight states, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's a time of confession. It's a time of examination. It's a time of getting things right with the Lord. It's not some just trifle thing that, that we do and, and move past. It's a time of getting things with, right with the Lord, saying, Lord, is is there something that I need to confess and repent over? And oftentimes what that means, it means getting things right with another believer or someone else in this world. And, and this is important. And we want to really um, just embrace what communion is and the importance of examination through it. So we could see that a devoted church is devoted to the word of God. It's devoted to fellowship. It's vo devoted to the breaking of bread. And then it's also devoted to the prayers. And this is the fourth and final area that we're going to focus on today as far as what a devoted church looks like. In fact, this is one of the four, um, one of the four pillars of ministry that we have here at Redeemer Church, prayer that is dependent on him. We want to make sure that this does not become an afterthought, not only in our own lives, but an afterthought in the, church, in the church's life. It's something that we regularly need to arrive at this place of dependence and reliance on him, recognizing that we bring nothing to the table. We, we are coming into the presence of an almighty God who could move mountains. And just to be able to say, Lord, work. Allow your, your, your will to be done, your, your kingdom come. That there's great power at work in these prayers. Jeremiah 33 3 states this. Call to me 
and I will answer you. And I will tell you of the great and hidden things that you have not known. The great and hidden things that you have not known. You know, I don't believe that we'll have regrets someday when we get to heaven. The manifest presence of, of the Lord will be so glorious. But I, I don't want to get to heaven someday and, and just see the real uh, of all the things maybe the Lord could have done in me or, or through me if I just would have been more steadfast and committed to prayer. We've seen the faithfulness of prayer in our lives, but so often we so easily forget, right? We don't commit to those mental or, or physical memorial stones as, as we see in Joshua 4, where we can say, Lord, you did this. I'm going to do a memorial stone or at least make a mental memorial stone to remember, to remember what you did. Because there's going to be times in my life where I'm going to need that hope and confidence based on what you did to carry me through my present situation or what you have for me in the future. I want us all to be able to start each and every day at a place of surrender. Just with open hands and open hearts. I remember talking about this a while back at one of our community groups and just say, what does that look like? What does that look like with open hands and an open heart saying, Lord, this day is yours. Your will be done with my life. And, and this is what we see that the Lord's prayer starts off with. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not only on this world, but also in my own life. Can we be tender and make sure that we're being recipients of what the Lord has for us through prayer? And when we pray for kingdom-minded things, that's a prayer that the Lord is going to answer. It's always these little steps of faithfulness, these little steps of obedience that really the Lord is drawing us to. To, to be faithful in the little things because we never know when that great leap of faith is going to be before us that he's preparing us for through these little steps of obedience. And, and those are the things that matter. Those are the little things that matter. I was so encouraged by everybody and Travis as well that signed up for the week of prayer. And it was just awesome to see so many people committing to that and understanding the power that is at work behind it. And then also all the individuals that came to our, our prayer meeting for the Boise Pride Festival. It's like 40 people. It was actually like 25, just a Christian roundup. But, but it was good. It was such a sweet time of prayer. And we need to keep these things going. You know, we're, we're praying about how the Lord will allow us to have a monthly prayer meeting that's on the calendar every month. If it's three people, it's three people. It's 40 people, it's 40 people. But it's so important. It's something that cannot go by the wayside as the Lord's church is concerned. We see it directly in this passage. That's what it means to be a devoted church. And then our, our third overall point, not the four sub-points underneath the last, last point, our third point is devoted to the church means being devoted to one another. We can see how they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions so that there was no one in need. They were going to the temple together. They did all of these things with what? Glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts praising God all the while. And this is the picture of a church 
that loves and cares for one another. They were devoted to one another. They saw someone in need, and they weren't a church that sat on their hands. They were a church that, that spoke with, with action, no lip service. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing these proceeds to any who had need. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 states this, and, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, a large reason that this was taking place is because this powerful movement was taking place in the city of Jerusalem and people were having to walk away from everything. 3,000 people coming into a relationship with the Lord, repenting, baptisms taking place all throughout the city of Jerusalem. But here's the thing, with every baptism, I would imagine, because Christianity didn't exist prior to this, there's individuals, there's family members, there's co-workers, there's friends saying, don't do this. Don't step into that pool. You step into that pool, you're going to have to walk away from everything. You're going to be banished. You're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be ostracized. And this, this is when we saw the church rise up and be everything that the Lord intended his church to be. A household of faith, many members of one body. They were saying, you don't have to worry about the food on your back or the food that you eat or the, or the clothes on your back. We're going to take care of you. We've got you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you're okay. Redeemer Church, we must be a church that cares for one another, a church that bears another's, one another's burdens. It's validation of our faith as it states in 1 John 4, 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And yes, I, I get it. For the most part, we're not under intense persecution for our faith. But make no mistake, there is a whole world of hurt in this room. There is a whole world of pain and difficult times and season that people are just walking through these doors and we have no idea what is going on. And, and we're not going to have any idea unless we step into that community. But will we be that lifeline to each other? And I'm just being honest it's an area that a lot of us just check out with. I mean, myself included at times. We're just saying, like, that's, that's just not for me. And what are some of those things that prevent us from doing that? Well, I mean, I'm too busy, right? I could barely keep my own head above water. How am I supposed to minister to the needs of others? Or, you know, I, I just don't want to get pulled into that mess. <laughs> I mean, what is that going to mean? Who are these people? Are they going to give me the 1130 Saturday night SOS call to bail them out wherever, whenever? I mean, what's that look like? I mean, how, how am I supposed to fit that into the schedule to, to be there for somebody? Or, or just to say like, hey, I, I just wouldn't know what to say if I ever had to minister to somebody. I just wouldn't know what to say. And, well, here's the thing. We, we don't say anything. We listen. And then after we listen, we listen some more. And just as this passage, passage states, it's, we, we direct them to God's word. We invite them into fellowship. And we pray with them. Not for them, we pray with them. Or how about this one? I, 
they got themselves into this mess. They're going to have to get themselves out of this mess. And I mean, really? I mean, I'm thankful for all the people that rescued me out of some of my messes, that's for sure. Or, or you know what, that, that's just not really my thing. So caring for people isn't your thing? You know, that's not my wheelhouse. This is my wheelhouse. This is what I do. This is what I do well. And I just want to challenge all of us to, to really step into what does it mean to be a New Testament Acts 2 church that loves and takes care of one another, of the household of faith. And I get it. We all have our excuses when it comes to this. We live in this world and there are always there going to be something. But what would it look like if we as a church, individually and collectively and continually leaned into what it means to shepherd the household of faith, the members of this body? We have to be a church that's devoted to one another, a church that points each other to the apostles' teaching, to, to the word of God that invites others into fellowship that regularly does communion, but also that prays for one another. That states, instead of, hey, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you right now. I mean, how beautiful is that? I remember in my 20s, my sister was just diagnosed with brain cancer. And, you know, I had a group of people that just prayed for me at that time. It was so powerful just to be able to say, I'm inviting the Lord and creator of the universe into this situation. And right now, we're going to pray for a miracle. Can we be a praying church? Can we say, I've got your back. The Lord's going to see you through this because he's faithful. Because we never know when we're going to be on the receiving end of that conversation. To say, I need some help. I need some prayer. And may we be that as a church. And why? Because that's who Jesus Christ is continually for us. He rescued us. He, he took us away from the depths and the depravity of our life. And he set us on. And we are now recognized as sons and daughters of the great king. That's what he did for us. And that, that's what he continually does for us. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that we have your word. We're thankful that you've given us the blueprint as far as how we are to navigate your church. God, we pray that we would be doers of the word, not hearers only. God, that for some of us, we may need to step into some of these things, whatever they may be. God, we, we love your word. We know that sometimes it it pierces a division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart and so God as we hear this message may, may we leave just feeling uh, and moving towards something whatever that may be Lord it might, it might just be a phone call to a family member see how they're doing it, it might be spending some additional time with a person that we know that's going through a difficult season God, it might be just saying, like, I really have to step into what it means to care for your church. God, whatever it is, Lord, that you would just allow us to navigate through that. God, we're thankful that you're there for us all the time. God, because you're there for us, allow us to be there for others.
ask these things in your name.